Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Hotspur Podcast. It is Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and we are back for a preseason preview of Tottenham Hotspur. And it is kind of weird we're doing this this early, but I guess we have the Qataris to thank for that. Joining me this week to get you acquainted with Tottenham Hotspur before we start the season, we have Ben Daniels joining us from the heart of uh, Dixie. Ben, how are you doing this weekend? <laughs> yeah, it's Whistling Dixie. <laughs> It's a new introduction, Greg. I'm trying. I'm trying different things, Ben. I'm trying different things. I want everyone to. I want everyone to glean that you're a neo confederate without me saying it. So right, I contain multitudes. <laughs> it's time everybody knew it. We we all know any prominent online leftist has some unpleasant truths behind them. So you know, it's just we might as well get it out of the way early. <laughs> Thanks for looking out. <laughs> nah, I'm, I'm trying. And next up, we have a, a valuable Wheeler Dealer uh, alum joining us to help us out this week. It is. Michael Cayley. Michael, thanks for joining us with your numbers wizardry wizardry again this week. Always good to be here. So, yes, Brian could unfortunately uh, not join us this week for reasons that I'm sure our regular listeners can fill in themselves. But we are here to talk about Tottenham Hotspur's preseason. It has been a pretty busy and surprisingly calm preseason uh, from Spurs, and we begin the year against Southampton on Saturday, which is, uh, I don't know what's weirder, guys, the fact that we're starting the season on Saturday in the first weekend of August, or that Spurs have had their business done for, like, what, three weeks now, two weeks now? It's, I mean, you know, there's guys getting up to fitness and betting in because of COVID and late transfers, but really, by Spurs standards, this is like we we've gotten all settled pretty early. Uh, I don't know. Let's 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 start with general takes. Uh, ben, we'll start with your sunny disposition. Uh, how are you feeling about Spurs as we as we enter uh, this this very strange season? Thanks to the Qatari World Cup. Oh, we're gonna win the league. But that's what I, that's what I'm talking relegated. about. That's what I'm talking about. We also might get relegated. Okay, so. there we go. All right. <laughs> Yeah, the pendulum has been in full force uh, <laughs> over the past month or so, uh, just swinging back and forth pretty rapidly. You know, it's and, kind of funny because we did our transfer sort of midway through the transfer portal uh, podcast, and your opinion was very poorly received uh, as the Spurs transfer business. But I feel like a lot of Spurs Twitter have come around to your way of thinking at least a month ago. What? What? It, where is the pendulum resting on Spurs transfer business right now? As we speak on August second, look. I mean, the gift of prophecy is as much a blessing as it is a curse. Um, <laughs> those who speak the truth of the future are never appreciated when they do it. Um, people don't want to hear that message. Um, I don't know. I've come around on some of the guys I was less optimistic about, um, namely Clement Longley. Clement Longley. <laughs> um, <laughs> And, you know, Perisic looks just as good as advertised, so that's nice to see. But some of the rest of the business I remain skeptical of. There are still holes in the team I wish we had filled, or at least filled with more impressive players. Um, but, you know, Conte turning Lucas into a wingback halfway through preseason has definitely gone a long, long way towards uh, making me feel good inside. <laughs> Men only want out. one thing, and it is disgusting, correct? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Not that I like Lucas, but he's gonna be here. Yeah, but you're gonna be, we're gonna be doing this podcast in like two years, and you're gonna be like, "Why is Pep Guardiola not making Harry Kane a right back?" I mean, I mean, this is a conversation we're gonna be having. Have you seen how Trent Alexander Arnold passes from that area of the pitch? You see what Harry Kane can do with the ball on his feet. This is obviously the most effective place to deploy him. What are you doing? Exactly. And, and with Lucas and and Perisic, we can see the value. Of an elite aerial wingback, 
you put Kane out there, you are not going to be losing headers on the wing anymore. So, so Michael, we haven't had a conversation with you since this transfer window started. Aside from Harry Kane's inevitable, uh, you know, taking the role of wing back at Spurs like King Arthur pulling the sword from the stone. Aside from that, how are you feeling about Spurs transfer window in this season? Yeah, I mean, they did a lot of business. This, this is clearly the Fabio Paratici way, is that he can do a lot of business, and he is a, up, like, move for move, he is an average-ish, you know, director of football. What, what, Ed, I don't, I, he's got a lot of misses on it on his resume at, at Juventus. I think he's picked, he's picked up several more at Tottenham, uh, but when you do lots of moves, you're going to get some good ones and you're going to be able to move out. The players he's moving out are players who are not that good. Some of them are players he signed. But regardless of that, you're moving out lots of players who aren't that good. Um, so I kind of like look at the summer more as that we didn't do a ton to raise the level of this team. It raised the floor a lot more than we raised the ceiling. But... You know, you look back at last season and Tottenham under Conte were easily the third best team in the Premier League. And so you take that team into the next season and you raise the floor. Like, I don't know. That's that's pretty good. I mean, I feel with Paratici, I, I feel a lot better about him when he's doing his work for Conte as opposed to in general. Because I do feel like there is more of a focus at than there was last summer where we were just like trying shit out. Like, I, I don't know. I don't know. A lot of this seems to be geared at depth signing, which is not something you think of, I think, when you think of Antonio Conte. But given how this season is likely to play out, that's probably not the worst thing in the world for this team to do. So, especially given how last I just, season. I don't think they intended Richarlison to be a depth signing. I oh, think I disagree. I, I think, I don't. You're signing a forward like Richarlison. Like, what else are you doing at Spurs? Like, you are you are solving the what happens if Harry Kane gets hurt and we need or and or we need to rotate problem. I mean, that is like I I don't know if he is like the best solution, but what I respect about it is we have tried signing like someone from the Dutch, like a 20 year old from the Dutch league, and hoping they figure it out from the bench. And oh, now, I, I think it's a, it's a it's a it's it's a good fit. It's just like an extremely large amount of money. Yes, I, I for, respect, for, though, that we are, like, come hell or high water, we decided to solve that problem this offseason, and it has been a problem, and I think it's probably going to be more of a problem this year, given our fixture congestion and potential injuries coming off the World Cup, so, uh, although, right. admittedly, it's, he it's, doesn't it's maybe solve it. And we targeted a kind of average solution to it. That's Paratici. You'd get the thing done. The thing gets done. That's worth a lot but the thing gets done in a pretty average way. Yeah, I mean, I guess to Conte's credit, he's spoken a lot about wanting to be able to make changes to the team without seeing a major drop-off in quality. And to have a guy willing to sit on the bench as good as Richarlison is, is pretty good. But, like, that's kind of all he is. Um, and it's and we've talked about this before, but spending 60 million pounds on, on your you fourth know, attacker is a lot of money that, like, City can do and... Liverpool can do, and it's a lot for Spurs to do. Especially I'm glad when we're doing spend... it. I'm glad we're, frankly, I'm glad we're doing it. Like, this has been a huge problem for Spurs going back ever since, virtually ever since Harry King's been our primary striker. And I, like, I am glad we are solving the fucking problem for once. Like, I mean, in theory, like, is, like, this is a, if this doesn't work, I'm not going to blame anyone because it's about as, you know, it makes about as much sense as any, as any solution we could have arrived at. Yeah, I mean, look, he's got a good attitude. He's shown a lot of flourishes on the pitch that, like, you know, you can be excited about him. It's just, that's just, he's yeah. just over Charleston. Like, it's fine. It's good. It's fine. Look, I'm happy with like, it. Like, if, if we want to talk about somewhere where, where, where there's, there's like, something to dream on right now, it really is long lay, I feel like. Oh, my God. Well, I, Spence, too, I think, to a different degree. But long lay is... Like, for, for right now. I think it's a bit amazing how much we've all talked ourselves into Long Lake. Is like, is probably, like, I, I am Michael. Not to take anything away from you, I would imagine I am the person on this podcast who has watched the most La Liga. 
uh, in the last few years at least. Like uh, every time I watch Barcelona, I've come away very unimpressed with Longley. Now, all that said, that club has been run like you know a drunken whorehouse for the last like three or four years, and certainly he has become like a scapegoat for both the team and the fans and the coaches. Again, like. I am not super high on Longley, but I understand what Conte sees in him. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. I am very... It is an interesting bet to take. And if, if Conte can sort of pull that off, then, like, I don't know what we're paying him. We should pay a lot more. <laughs> I mean, the thing that was clear from Longley, and I mean, I thought this watching him in, in, in La Liga, it's certainly very clear in his numbers, is he's a great passer. Yes, that is, that is the and, thing that Longley does. And, like, we, last season, like, the problem with this team under Conte, the times that the team did not work under Conte, it was because his system requires a lot, requires a lot, technically, of the players in the back line. And and we blamed the wingbacks for it a lot, and a fair amount of it was on the wingbacks, but, like, the centerbacks can also make a big difference, because, like, we didn't have a cent, we had very few centerbacks, Romero's really the only guy who could make a pass from the back line that bypassed the wingbacks. So it had to go to wingbacks. Ben Davis was not going to make the pass yeah. that splits it all the way up to the forwards. And Longley clearly has that pass in him. And I think there's a lot of value in that for a team like Tottenham under Conte, who need to be able to play, be playing quickly out of the back. Like it's not, and this is the thing about Conte, it's not about playing out the back in the way you think about it with Pep or with a lot of possession players. It is playing out the back in order to create sort of like possession that that is effectively transition. And it has to start from the back. And I think that there's a lot of reason to think that having a player with Longley's passing ability in that position could be a really big upgrade. If there's someone you, where you want to dream of on this team, I think it is the kind of effect that Longley could have on this team's attack. The other thing I'll say about Longley at Barcelona is whether by philosophy or incompetence, he was hung out to dry a lot. Uh, that is not a team that's interested in having midfield, despite the fact they have Busquets, who is probably one of the best defensive midfielders of the last generation. I mean, obviously right. he's a little... Of the last generation. Yeah, that's fair enough. But my point is that, whether through incompetence or philosophy, that is not a team that has been committed to protecting its center backs with a midfielder. There is no iteration of Tottenham's midfield that does not have somebody doing some sort of shielding action on our midfield most of the time. So I, I think there is, as much as I am not wild about the long lay signing, I, I do think, you know, I don't think Spurs are going to be playing unprotected high lines as often as Barcelona were. And I no, think there, that, that could be a difference. The thing that I would say about that is, before Conte got here, you look at Eric Dyer and Ben Davis, and you do not think these are a safe yeah, pair of hands in the fair. back line. Like, Dyer was pre- committing errors that led to chances at, like, an insanely high rate. You know, Ben Davis has never been, like, a super competent one-on-one defender. But under Conte, they were able to play behind the ball and do that very effectively without, you know, making the kind of calamitous mistakes that Longley was known for at Barcelona. Um, and, and he was able Dyer to do that with them a year ago. He was able to do that with them almost immediately too, like with very right. little preparation. And so I see a lot of Spurs fans being like, "Well, why do we need someone better than Ben Davis? He was excellent last year." And like to take nothing away from Ben Davis, he really did have a really good time uh, as a left center back under Conte. But like, like Kaylee said, he is not that kind of plus passer. He doesn't like you look at at him and you look at Romero and you can see what one is doing and what the other one isn't. And having another guy who might be able to do something like what Romero does is just a huge game changer for us. Especially because we've doubled down once again on a, you know, a sturdy midfielder who is not, you know, the most progressive expansive passer uh, in the world that just needs to happen from the back line. I do think you look at our window and I think that I mean, I think we talked about this a little bit before, but if Basuma didn't have that cloud hanging over him when we signed him, I think we'd feel a little bit better about this window. Is that is that irrational on my part? I, I think you're right. It would be easier to feel excited about him as a person coming to this team and not just sort of like begrudgingly recognize that he will be effective. Um, 
Like, if we had gotten somebody not named Ibusuma playing that position, you know, we know it's a position of weakness and something that we could improve upon, especially in terms of depth and not having to see Harry Winks out there and skip with his perennial injury problems. Like, we needed a guy there. Um, and that's a good fix and probably a guy who will be the first choice among the four of them. Yeah, I mean, we, from a football standpoint, like, it's a very yeah, good that, that, That's what I'm... There, there's a lot of things that you could spend time sort of dreaming on that, like, it feels more uncomfortable to dream on because we don't know what happened in that nightclub and something bad happened in that nightclub and he may have been involved in it and I don't like that and that that makes it hard for me to enjoy this stuff on a simple football level but like if that weren't the case you know Yves Basuma has been a very sort of steady six not moving the ball forward kind of central midfielder for Brighton especially the last year and a half once uh, he got set in that position for Potter, that really kind of wasn't what he was in France. In France, he did a lot of ball progression, especially uh, ball-carrying ball progression. And I think that that, that that set of skills, like we watched with um, last season, uh, Benton Kerr, who his whole career has been like the most boring central midfielder in the entire universe being sort of pushed to be more interesting. And he showed some ability with it. He, you know, he's, a, he's a good player. He's just boring as hell. Um, and he showed some ability with that. And Basuma has shown a lot more ability over the course of his career to do some of the, like, you may not be a creative midfielder, but I, Antonio Conte, will make you a creative midfielder by telling you exactly, by giving you, like, two options in these situations. And I think Basuma seems like he really could be a good fit for that. Like, there's... I I, 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 I I buy that, like, we could be dreaming on him a bit more if, you know, it did not feel emotionally unpleasant to do so. Mm-hmm. Conversely, we did get a player that I think is, I think the whole point behind it is to dream on, which is Jed Spence, who I, I guess we've talked about on this podcast, but that was always his, we always thought it was about to happen, and it finally did a few weeks ago. Spence is an interesting target in that we've heard reports that the club normally wouldn't have got him, but they think he's appropriate for Conte. I think there's a lot of sort of dual thinking with Spence. Because on the one hand, I think there is something to dream on there. On the other hand, everything else about Spurs right now seems to be about being all in right now. I mean, we're going to get Paris Edge because we, I would imagine, are expecting to do something, if not this year, next year. Like, I mean, that is a win-now move. And Spence seems like the kind of guy that might need a year or two to get up to speed. At least that seems to be the general consensus. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I think, I mean, he's got sort of physical abilities that I don't think a lot of players on this team have, which I think is the thing to, the, the thing to be positive about in the immediate short term. But, yeah, I, I don't know. A lot of people seem to think that, you know, this is not a guy who's going to be ready to contribute to Spurs right now. I mean, how, do you, how are you guys feeling about him? in our rotation, which is obviously muddled by the fact that it's unclear whether the other two right-backs on the team are going to be moved on before the transfer window ends. Ben, do you want to start? Yeah, I mean, I think I think he's probably going to be a non-factor to our season. Um, you know, I think the reality is, is Matt Doherty had a good spell under Conte. He seems to be in pretty good shape, um, especially given like the Matt Doherty we signed. Um, he looks a lot leaner and a lot fitter, uh, even coming off of his injury. Um, and the rumors are we're keeping him in his first choice for now. Um, we've also experimented, like I said earlier, with Lucas at right wing back. It seems like Conte is not super thrilled with that as an immediate solution. Um, and who knows, over the course of the season, he may you know, force his way into contention, but I, I would be surprised if we see a lot of Jed uh, in, the, in the early part of the season. So, I don't know. I mean, he looks like the guy we thought we were signing, a, a raw athletic player who maybe could grow into something but isn't quite there yet. Yeah, I mean, he was a above-average championship player who was capable of doing very cool things. 
and there is just no reason to think that an above-average championship player is going to be a Champions League squad player the next season. That happens very rarely. And, uh, you know, I find the Conte thing sort of weird. Like, Conte was given a couple of fullbacks who have a lot of tools that look like the tools of a future good fullback. You know, Regulon and, 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 and Emerson are both, like, athletic. They both can do a bunch of things on the field but they couldn't do the exact things that he wanted them to. And, you know, that's how it works with Conte. So you get the guys who can't. And, and that's fine. Everyone is fine with buying into Conte. But there's, there's not a lot of reason to think that he can take a guy who's got tools and turn them into a good player. I think that the signing, like, maybe, maybe he will. Maybe that'd be fun. But um, I don't think it's a great fit for the team or the manager. And, yeah, love to be wrong. But I, I kind of just discount that signing. I mean, the thing that makes me most hopeful is, like, he seems the one ability he seems to have is taking is taking on a man like like dribbling past the guy seems to be like the one thing he can do that no one else on our team can do. Now there's other problems once he's done that, but you would hope that there's I don't know there's an option there that you know I mean he does offer us something that I don't think our other fullbacks can do, which I don't know how valuable that is. I don't know how much Conte can sort of tease out the other stuff, but. There is something there immediately that I think he offers that no one else on our team can do. Can do, and I, I don't know. I'm hoping that with Conte he can develop that, but I, I just don't know yeah. if that's going to happen. It's, this it's year. still a. I, he absolutely has that. He also was unsuccessful in like 59 percent of his take-ons last season in the championship against championship defenders, like. It's really, if it's there, it is really raw. The odds that that is just going to suddenly play as a plus skill in the Premier League right now, I think are really low. What's Conte's record like with like actually like molding and developing young players? And I think of Conte, I think of like just repurposing players or getting the best out of players or, you know, finding the right home in his system. I don't really think of him as like, you know, Pochettino type to like nurture Danny Rose from this guy who has some skills into like England's left back. Like, I don't, that's not my thought of Antonio Conte. Is that there in his history? I I really couldn't tell you. Paul Pogba is the first one I would think of. Like he he did develop Pogba over the course of those seasons. Like starting with someone who had like, you know, massive, obvious superstar talent. Yeah, but Pogba hasn't been. A lot of his best seasons were, under Conte in, in, in that midfield. It's so like, there's one, but like, I, I don't think of that as his pattern either. I don't think there's a ton of that. So what you're saying is we should have signed Conte another mid-range journeyman who he could have gotten the most out of. <laughs> so as we look uh, at this, go ahead. No, we don't need to sign anybody because we've got Lucas. <laughs> it's happening. Finally happening. The prophecy has been fulfilled. Do you think we're going to sell Emerson before the season starts? Or before this transfer window closes? Let's not say the season starts, because I think selling him in a week would be a little bit much. But all the transfer rumors are... All the selling... All the outgoing transfer rumors around Spurs have really dried up recently. And Emerson seems to be a weird case of, like... I think he's a... I think we would all agree he's a good player who is a bad fit for a Conte system. But at the same time, you sort of begrudgingly earn Conte's respect. So I don't know what we're going to do with him. Yeah, I mean, it's weird because, like, we have a bucket of guys in Ndombele and Loselso and Regulon and Winks who are, like, clearly, like, I'm left behind in preseason. They're, like, clearly on the outs. And Emerson is, and, and Doherty seem to not be. But we never thought we were going to keep both of them. And I think it was just a question of who is Conte going to like more going into the season. And at this point, it feels like it's Doherty. And so Emerson will probably get sold. But, I, yeah, I'm not super confident about it because the signs haven't been super clear. And we don't have a market really for any of these guys. So if someone decides they want to buy Matt Doherty for some reason, instead I could see that happening, even if we like Doherty better. Like, I don't know. Yeah. The basic issue is that if we keep both Emerson and Doherty, we really only have one more space to register a player who isn't homegrown for the Champions League squad. 
and uh, the reports have been that Spurs are looking to sign another center back. That's been very strongly reported, I think. But like, you know, not that anything is happening right now, but that Conte wants another center back. And then on top of that, there are the rumors around Zaniolo, Paqueta, another sort of Madison-ish attacker. Yeah. Madison, somebody who gives us a different look coming in, whether they're in midfield, whether they're playing behind the striker, whatever exactly it is. It makes a lot of sense as a target, but you can't sign one of those. If, if we keep Emerson and Doherty, then one of those two guys would have to be homegrown or to register them. So, like, that makes me think that these guys are getting moved on. And, like, yo, what do you have Paratici for if you can't just move these guys on at some point? And, like, he's going to move guys on maybe not for the best deal, but he's going to get it done. And I think that that's, again, part of, part of the deal with him. Yeah, on the one hand, Emerson's a bad fit. On the other hand, he's clearly willing to work in a way that some of the other bad fits aren't. And do I really want to lose his comps on, like, you know, a Sunday or a Monday? Like, I mean, those are really good. Like, you know, definitely one of the best things of, of your week as a Spurs fan is getting, getting the Emerson comps. So, I don't know. Um, I think of all the sort of ugly ducklings in Spurs squad, I think Emerson is the one who could sort of make it work the best, which maybe isn't great, but, you know, it is what it is. And he's not, the you know, he's a fullback who's not a bad defender. And I think there's always room for that somewhere. And if you can just maybe tell him to not cross the ball so much, which is obviously a problem under Conte, uh, you know, maybe you can find a way to make that work. But, yeah, he also seems to have a market, especially in Spain, where he was a successful fullback. So. Now, I, I, I want to see Royal on the Costanza plan. Like, whatever it is you think you're going to do once you get around the penalty area, do the opposite. Yes. Let's, like, let's... He makes the wrong decision every time to a degree that is, like, getting pathological. We haven't considered what what Royale could be like in you know after a full preseason, like not counting for any of our preseason matches. Like, what what if he finally got it? So, um, before we get into some preseason predictions, uh, I, I guess the only bit of transfer business that's being heavily rumored, as you just alluded to, Michael, was the um. Are, we're really being heavily linked with an attacking midfielder. And Zaniolo is, I guess, the one we've been strong, we've had the strongest links to. You, Michael, I'll start with you because you brought him up. Do you have any thoughts on Zaniolo? Because I'm not super impressed, although he is a unit. Like, I mean, the lad is a the unit. The entire so. case for Zaniolo and the, like, there's been reporting on this that sort of this seems to be the case. The entire case for Zaniolo is that Conte likes him. And I, I saw someone do the meme of, like, you know, the dumb guy and the genius both saying the same thing and the, like, average person in the middle being annoyed. And, like, the average person in the middle is saying, you know, his numbers aren't that good. He's injured all the time. This is way too much money. You can get somebody for a better price. And, the, the, like, the dumb guy and the genius are saying Conte likes him. Like, that's the whole case. There, there's nothing in his profile that makes you think that spending anything like the numbers that have been reported. Like, Roma is supposed to be demanding $50 million. Like, these are absolutely lunatic numbers for someone who the best you can say is that in his second 900 minutes last season out of 2,000, he was above average. He I was mean, terrible. The thing the you can say about like, Zaniolo... nothing. The thing you can say about Zaniolo that is... Maybe you could justify the transfer. I agree with you, not for the numbers we're seeing bandied around, but, like, he has been managed by either... Not great managers or football terrorists, like virtually his entire career. And the rest of the time he's been hurt. So, you know, I could, like, is if you were to tell me, is there a world in which Antonio Conte sees something that these other, like, knuckle draggers haven't been able to figure out? Like, you know, I don't think it's likely, but I think it's, like, not crazy. Yeah, I, I mean, think there's a, most, most, most squared on Twitter wrote a really good profile of him before the injuries. And basically what he said is that this guy's passing profile is insane. He makes terrible passes backward all the time. He doesn't do anything progressive and he's not that he's not athletic enough to like do that and be a good player. And like the, the case for him under Conte is Conte looking at this and going, I will teach him where to pass the ball. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you can see, like, if if you're assuming the best, 
you could see where Conte would be like, you will play instead of Kulishevsky sometimes. Like, I will play you in, like, sort of an attacking midfield or sort of that advanced attacking midfield role that Kulishevsky fits in the team. Like, it, I could talk myself into it, sort of. I would still rather we spent that money on someone else. Ben? I mean, there's just no case to spend any real money, especially not the kind of crazy money we're talking about, and a guy who has two ACL injuries in, like, the last three years. Like, that's fucking insane. Like, there's just there's just no universe where in Serie that's a. not a problem. In Serie A, that's before he gets to England. Right. Like, the idea that he's going to be, like, more healthy after this is very, very unlikely. And, you know, the fact that his, his performances dipped so heavily after each injury you know, only to rebound to, like Michael said, a level of average, above average, um, as he eventually got past them. It's like, I, you're buying a guy who, like, yeah, maybe three years ago doing this was, like, an exciting project, but in the intervening three years, his legs exploded twice. <laughs> like, you just don't buy that guy. <laughs> That's just, it's that simple. Yeah, even yeah. accounting for Jose Mourinho and, who have Pablo Fonseca, like maybe not getting the most out of him. It still seems like, you know, if we're talking about like 20 million euros, it would be like, you know what? Fuck it. Fine. Like, do like that makes, makes big tone happy. Like, let's do it. But yeah, for like, if we're talking about 50 million euros now, like there's gotta be a better way to spend. You need to save that for like your, we are going to buy an elite center back next season. You know, like right. rainy day like, fun, like just just keep that money take, in a vault somewhere. Take the fifty million we already have earmarked for a center back. Add the Zaniolo transfer fee to it, and just buy the fucking center back. And I don't care who you play <laughs> instead, because there's just no need for it. At, at this point, it's like there isn't really anything linking us to Lucas Paqueta, but uh, that would be a lot of fun. That, that's the one that I want. I mean, you know, it would be a shame if uh, Zaniola didn't work out and we had to go to Plan B. <laughs> like that would be a... Man, real, real, real rough, real rough. That would be get, a... uh, you know, all-around attacker who's already producing at a star level in Liga. I hope Jose Mourinho doesn't just spite us out of you know bad feelings for the club. Like that would be so unfortunate. So we're not going to talk about the Roma match because, frankly, I don't think anyone here watched it with any degree, with any level of interest that would warrant discussion. But like. Certainly the weirdest thing that happened in that match was Fabio Paratici having a go at the Roma, like, assistant coaches and Mourinho playing Peacemaker. I don't know what the weirdest part of that is, but... It's I really know, I really have nothing to add. Yeah, I don't know. I just want to say it's that. It's weird. figure on the touchline. We, we employ a lot of weird people, is all I'm saying. Um, so yeah, okay, fellas, let's move into, I want to discuss sort of what we think the season's going to be like. I want to start with, uh, some obvious stuff before we move into some more, uh, boutique predictions. Uh, player of the year, who do you think is going to be the best player on Tottenham Hotspur next season? Ben? Harry Kane. I think Kane looks fit as a fiddle. I think, you know, I think the way he played since Jose came on and, remade him, I guess, into a, a deeper player. Um, you know, we've seen that that level of passing. We've seen when he does the ball at his feet. He has started to, you know, marry that with his old goal-scoring form. He looks healthy. He looks in shape. Um, I think once Kulishevsky joined the team, he was even more of a presence in the box. Um, I wasn't just having to, like, feed Sun all the time. Um I, uh, I think I think Kane is going to have a phenomenal season. Michael? Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, like, you know, a world where Kane or Son isn't the player of the season is probably a world where this season didn't go very well. <laughs> Unless Kulishevsky just becomes a fucking superstar... I know, I know. My my son would be would be so mad. He's got he's got his decky kit waiting for him at home for opening day. My son is too young for that, but he does enjoy the Kulishevsky song. And the, the, and oh what a night, which his mother does not enjoy me singing to him, but I do anyway. Um, Michael, which which kit is your son getting of the Kulishevsky jersey? Oh, the, the away kit. That was oh. his, I, I, I showed I showed him that was his favorite. He, like, he likes bold colors. The most radical. And, and, 
also came up with a uh, he rewrote what a night. You know, you, you, you <laughs> play Thursday because you really bite. <laughs> um. So okay, next question: Who is the going to be the Tange and Dombele honorary disappointment of the year, Ben? Ooh, uh, I mean, just let that... you down. Let just completely just ruin your Saturdays and or Sundays right. or what have you. Yeah, I mean that question like implies I have faith in this person to begin with, and I don't have a lot <laughs> of faith in Richarlison, but I don't know. I think Richarlison is going to like be our Nasser Chadley. And everyone's gonna be, think that's like great, and I'm gonna be annoyed by it. Well, so <laughs> I think there's, but Ben, I think there's two sides to that. Like, if it's just Nasser Chadley, like Nasser Chadley was against like fucking Southampton and Brighton, like I think that's one thing. If he's Nasser Chadley against like Arsenal, and also he's getting guys like like Arsenal and Chelsea players sent off or winding them up, I think that's a bit of a different equation. And I think that's yeah. possible under under Richarlson because that guy is a massive shithead. Yeah. There's, yeah. A play- There's a player I'm I'm feeling good about that could like really screw us over. I feel like it's Matt Doherty. You know, right back falling apart is one of the ways this season goes badly. And I think most likely the way this season is going to work is that we're going to make a big bet on Matt Doherty. And then we're going to have like a dice roll on Lucas and a dice roll on, uh, on Spence as the backups to that. And Matt Doherty just like, not being quite fit enough to really defend on the right side and just sort of screwing everything up and not being a really good possession player and then, you know, not getting quite as much in the penalty as you want. Like, I feel like that's the way this... That, that's one of the ways I can see this season going a little bit crappy. Yeah, I would say Spence, and I don't think that's necessarily an indictment of Spence. I just think he just might take a year to bet in or he could not be good enough. Like, either of those... I think there's a range of possibilities within that sort of... Zone. I, I think Spence might just not like, for one reason or another, might not, just might not like the world on fire this year. And I think certain Spurs fans aren't going to take that very well. Yeah, I, I won't be disappointed if he plays like a thousand minutes of pretty bad football, mostly in cups. I won't even be disappointed by that. That that's clearly his level right now. Like, if we get more than that, that's a like that suggests that we did, that the transfer was a good one. Mm-hmm. We get fifteen hundred minutes of okay minutes, mostly in cups, looking good. <laughs> The thing I'm actually worried about is Oliver Skip. Uh, you know, bad penis injury last year, and now he's got a foot injury that apparently isn't a broken metatarsal, so it's not as bad as feared. But like, I don't know. I just have a terrible vision of, of Skip. Yeah, it's going to be a really rough. He somehow season. got apparently got bone damage from being spiked in the ankle. Yeah, like, we're gonna. What is this guy made? We're going to be talking about like. We're going to be talking about, oh, well, at least he can get healthy during the World Cup, and he's going to be, like, passing kidney stones like he's Al Swearingen or something. It's going to be it's going to be very, very unpleasant for Skip. I feel like that guy, that guy if he didn't have bad luck, he wouldn't have any luck at all. It's, it, it ain't good so far. I, I hope this is the end of it from Skip, but uh, it doesn't seem like a good way to start the season. Winks is staying. That's, no, don't that's say what's that. happening. Shut, shut up. Shut up. Um... <laughs> I'm very mad at Fat Frank, by the way, for not taking him off our hands. Like, and maybe I'm getting greedy after we got Delhi out of here, but um, yeah. All right. Aww. So uh, <laughs> let's move on to the uh, the honorary Rafael Vandervaart uh, best transfer move. What is your favorite transfer move of the offseason, Michael? Uh, I, I mean, is, is our prediction for the transfer for best? Yeah, what do you transfer? think at the end of the year we're going to be happiest with from our transfer window? This transfer I, window, so not. I, like, I think I think that at the end of this year, we're going to be the happiest about Parasitch. I think we just signed a guy who I think his looks like his legs are going to be there for at least another year. Who's an elite wing back when it is so long as like the fact that he's 34 doesn't make a difference, and seems like it probably won't this year. Didn't last year when he was 33, so you know. Yeah, and he still looks fucking incredibly fit. Like, he does not look like he's the 34-year-old guy out there running around. Uh, the, the one positive thing you could say sort of analytically is that he really didn't play a ton of minutes through most of his 20s. He, he was he was in and out of teams. He does not have like a, a bunch of 3,000-minute seasons in his 20s. 
So, like, there's some reason to think there's less mileage on his legs and he can keep going. He's also, by all accounts, just, like, a physical fitness freak. And so, you know, I think that's just a, you know, really good right now signing that's going to work. I think also as we signed him so quickly and there wasn't a lot of fanfare that uh, we've kind of underrated that signing a little bit. And because his age, too, I think I think it's contributed to that. But I think he's going to be very good. And especially with, I think, dep- with Sessegnon as deputy, I think he's going to... I think we're going to be use him very. I think we're going to use him very well. So Ben, who is your uh, Raphael Vandervaart honorary transfer of the summer? Yeah, I mean, I think it's hard to look past Paris. It's just the guy who immediately transforms this team. Like I think Basuma is like a good upgrade on Ben Cor and Hoybier, but like we had to rely on them for the whole season, and you know didn't have no not, no questions of depth or whatever. Like he's not changing that midfield so dramatically the way Paris is. I mean. He just is just such a massive upgrade over every other wing back of this club. Um, but to give a different answer, I'll double down on my on my long way um, take. You know, he comes to us in similar cast off from a big big two Spanish club um, who wasn't you know really gotten the most of in his time there and could be could be a guy who makes us a lot better. I will say. Or Charleston, uh, because I'm not sure the numbers will back it up, but I think he's going to score in some big instances, and I think he's going to wind up some people we enjoy seeing wound up. And I think I think I think we'll all enjoy him a lot, even if maybe he is not delivering at a level commensurate with his transfer fee. Yeah, I mean, if this season goes really well, like the best case scenario of this season, I think it's long lay. Like the the way yes. this is, the, the, yes. like if things work out really great. We'll be looking back and saying, "Wow, we got a star center back on loan that transformed our our, our, our whole our whole team." Now the question is, if Longley does really well, are we going to have to fight Barcelona or whatever like like Ponzi scheme they've gotten in bed with to like try to keep him? So I think yeah, no, we have an option, like a pretty cheap option too. Don't do we? we? I don't think we do. Um, do we not? The reporting suggested that we do not. But that there was some sort of the reporting suggests that, 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 that there is no option. I mean, I, th- I think that like as long as we can like keep him, we can sell Barcelona an NFT of his production, and that should like <laughs> basically you know that that that'll triple in value every three months. That that sh- that should work for them. <laughs> Perfect. I have nothing to add to that. That's that's uh, that's a very good summary of it. Uh, so, uh, look at this year. This is going to be any player. Who is your Dejan Kulishevsky honorary breakout player of the year for Tottenham Hotspur? Uh, this could be anyone who just sort of takes it to the next level uh, and really surprises you. Uh, just because I don't think any of us expected much out of Kulishevsky, and he really impressed the shit out of me. So, Ben, we'll start with you again. Uh, who, who, do you, who do you think is going to really take it up a notch this year? I mean, I reject the premise of the question because I really liked Kulishevsky and was very excited about okay, that signing. Okay, that's a lie. You're never excited. Ben, you're never excited about anything. So, first of all, that's not true. Second of all... Oh, that's 100% true. I guarantee you, you can go back and listen. Okay, Only definitely not doing that. So, okay. Yeah, no, because I remember we talked about like missing out on Luis Diaz and, and having to settle for Kulishevsky and making the case for why that was a better fit for this team, even though Luis Diaz might have a higher ceiling. Because Luis Diaz I, is a fraud and, and just poaches uh, tap-ins? Is that, is that the reason why? Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, so, so who's your breakout taking, star of the year? Taking man? your question as I'm choosing to take it, um, a full season of Christian Romero is going to solidify him as the best center back that this club has ever seen. Sorry, Ludley King. Sorry, Toby and Jan. This is Romero's year. My, my my sort of like, you know, I feel like this is sort of a, a, a question for narrative. I'm yes. going to say Hoiberg. I think that uh, Hoiberg has shown over the course of his career a number of different situations, like a lot of interesting attacking instincts that in most systems haven't really, he hasn't really been able to do because he's so rangy and has so many other like above average abilities that you don't make that the main one. And I think that this season, what it looks like in, in preseason and what I think would make the most sense with uh, Benton Kerr and Basuma as his most likely partners is that he's going to be the guy 
who really is coming in as not the fourth attacker because you've got two wingbacks in 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 the three two five, but the sixth attacker coming in. I I think I think that Hoybier looking like a player who suddenly has a fit after having this much time in the patterns and in the system. I like that as a, as, a, as a breakout option. I mean, we see with Denmark all the time, right? That Hoiberg is a valuable attacker. He wins man of the match awards all the time. He gets goals and assists, and we never see that for Spurs. Yeah, I think it happened. <laughs> so this is, as Michael was saying, I think this is a narrative award, and I'm going to give it to someone I think is going to win it on narrative. I think it's going to be Bentancourt, who... I think, if nothing else, I'm not sure if the level of play is going to jump up, but I think there's going to be a point in, like, February or something where, like, a Jamie Carragher or Gary Neville or someone like that recognizes, like, this guy has just been, like, playing at, you know, he's just, like, just steady. Like, you can always count on him. He's great in every game. There's no huge drop-offs. And I think his reputation is going to take a jump this year. Because I think... Because Kulishevsky was so good right away. I think we kind of, even Spurs fans, I think kind of overlooked how important Bentoncourt was into our run-in, like where he just immediately stabilized that midfield, which I think everyone forgets about how just what a fucking disaster it had become right before he came into our midfield. And he just instantly settled everything. And I think a whole season of that, when I think Spurs are going to be playing at a pretty high level... I think Bentecourt is going to be a really big part of that, and I think it's going to be one of those things where, if not his level of play has jumped up, certainly the esteem in which he is held is going to dramatically increase. Yeah, I think that's right. Especially playing next to a Basuma instead of a Hoybeard, I think that's just a better partner for him. Yeah, I, th- I think if he, like, stand out a little. if we beat, like, I don't know, Liverpool or Chelsea or something mid-season, and he, like, you know, clean someone out on a very, you know, and doesn't get a red card or a yellow card on it. I think that's going to be the kind of thing that makes him jump all up of level. Your, All of your moments of, like, transcendence are, like, violence. Yes. Whether it's for Charleston or Romero, whoever. Someone's yep. going to do physical damage to somebody, and everyone's going to love them for it. Exactly. That's, exactly. That's exactly. exactly. Um, I mean, does seem correct. Yeah, I mean, Mettinger <laughs> is a really solid... Player who I think that, that there were some reports that he was playing injured through most of the time that he was at Tottenham. I think I think yes. that like after that Burnley he, match, he had where he moments like of not legs. looking as good. He is a better athlete than I think he appeared to be at Tottenham. He's a rangier midfield than he appeared to be dur- for, for big parts of the season last. I, I think that we're going to get a better Bentancur this year. Okay, so boring as shit though. Next up, we have the Danny Rose Memorial Most Likely to Do Something Stupid on Social Media Award. Who do we think is most likely to say something on social media that they're going to regret? Or do something that is on social media that they'll regret? Or that we'll regret, if not that. I mean, Lucas already has that pretty well locked down. It's <laughs> just being a very horrible social media presence. I can see, like, I think Richarlison is, like, very, like, positive on social media and like has a good presence and like tries really hard in that arena and i can see it going a little too far and going wrong it's dire <laughs> oh yeah fuck let's not talk next question uh, no no i think it's dire i think you're absolutely right. yeah fuck. it's absolutely right as he as he as he, as he wrestles a match at a WWE pay-per-view with Logan Paul, when we sit there thinking, what is Eric Dyer doing? Um, next up, Ben, you're going to enjoy this. Uh, the, uh, the Adam Triori, the Adama Triori honorary uh, going to become a wingback award. Uh, you know, Lucas is obviously up for this, but I think there's got to be some dark horses for this. And if there's anyone I trust to pick those dark horses out, it's you, Ben. I mean, I feel like we already covered this. It's Harry Kane. This is definitely Harry Kane. It's, it's Lucas Mora. There's no one else. There's not, there's not another one you want to throw out there. Ben, you just love turning players into wingbacks. I'm, 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 I am giving you the floor here. To, like, oh, your most like sicko shit. Your most sicko shit. Come on. Like, this Hugo Lloris. Hugo Lloris should be a left back. Like, come on. It's Kulishevsky. It's oh Richarlison is going to be good. 
and forces his way into the front three. So we need to put Kulishevsky somewhere because he's too good to drop. And that's the only place you can put him. And Kulishevsky is going to be our right wing back. How much of that do you Or believe? we sign Paqueta. We go to a 3-5-2. <laughs> and you get Kane and Son up top with Kulishevsky coming in from the wing. Yeah. Like, like we have so many wingbacks right now. The only way someone becomes a wingback is if our attack is too good to hold all of our good attackers that someone just has to go there by necessity to keep them in the team. Uh, next up, we have the Giovanni <laughs> Lo Celso honorary most likely to turn out to look a lot like their sister award. Uh... <laughs> 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 they just do now. That's what it is. But I think the talent is they're not going to look more like their sister. We don't know what their sisters look like. We're just having to discover a sister and be like, oh, God. We we can guess who we think is most likely to end up in this situation. It's Lucas. It's Lucas. It's definitely Lucas. Although I feel like we also would have found that out. I would feel so bad if Lucas has a sister that looks like Lucas. That's a tragedy. No woman deserves that hairline. (laughs) There's a lot of surgeons in Brazil. I, 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 I'm imagining, like, Hugo is a lady. Looks like, definitely looks like a French woman. Well, it's not Jed Spence, whose sister is, like, an actress who looks much better than him. So, it's not Jed Spence. All right, so we, we crossed that one off our list. Does, does, does Harry Kane... How many, other, how many other sisters are you aware of? Does, does Harry Kane have a sister that looks a lot like him? Because I think that's the funniest option here. Yeah. We already like, we know we know Kulishevsky's sister. She doesn't look like him. Uh, they have a strong. They have a similar weird brother sister social media relationship. Like so, in that respect, they go UFO hunting together. So. But she has a fantastic vibe on social media. Is she the one with the hair? Yes. Yeah. God, she's so weird. She's like she's like Janice Soprano, but. <laughs> Janice Kulishevsky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she's, try- she's trying to take Zlata's house from him. <laughs> yeah, she's uh, throwing out that lasagna out of the freezer. <laughs> I wish I could remember another Swedish player's name so I could talk about how she was shooting him. Which... Okay, never mind. <laughs> Well, I'm out of awards, so does anyone else have any <laughs> thoughts <laughs> on our preseason? <laughs> it's a great thing we don't edit this podcast, so. <laughs> That's it? No, no. no. Uh, where do you, wh- what kind of season do you think Spurs are going to have? Uh, Michael, we'll start with you. What, like, what, how do you think the season's going to shape up? Obviously, there's a World Cup in the middle of it, which I think is going to be extremely weird for everyone except Liverpool because none of their players are going to the World Cup for reasons I don't fully understand. Yeah, I mean, look, the, the baseline for this season for Tottenham is that, like, they solidly finish top four and City and Liverpool are just really, really good, or at least one of them is really, really good. And so, like, there isn't really a title race that Tottenham can be involved in. That's the baseline. That's like the most likely thing that'll happen. I don't know. At some point, we've sort of built ourselves up like that's just like kissing your sister. But I think that's a good season. But uh, we're not trying to be Villarreal here, so. <laughs> I mean, I think Spurs are trying to. And you correct me if, if, you're, if you think I'm wrong here, but I think Spurs are trying to build a team that could take advantage of the top two slipping up. Like if those two teams come back to earth, which I don't think is something we should count on. I think Spurs are trying to build a team that could like, okay, now we're in a race with them. Like if they don't if they don't play the way they've played the last what, two years, three, depending on how you look at the COVID year, like, you know, this is a team that could maybe take advantage of that, which is a little depressing, um, in terms of what, what can be achieved, but I, I feel like that's sort of what our squad building has looked like this offseason. I think I think, yes. I mean, I think we are solidly, like Michael said, the third best team in the league. 
um, coming off of last season, and we've gotten better and strengthened in ways that that shouldn't change. Um, you know, Gabriel Jesus may be so transformative for Arsenal <laughs> that um, maybe we have to deal with them. I don't know, but I'm starting to convince myself that there's like a reason to hope that Man City and Liverpool will both not be as good as we think. Like so far, Holland hasn't looked like you know the best young player in the world, not named Mbappe. Um, Jack Grealish is going to be given a lot of responsibility this season and still doesn't quite look up to the task to be a Man City player. Like, the City just haven't, like, really looked like this new incarnation of them is is the same all-conquering team that they have been. Um, and, you know, at Liverpool, they lost Mane and replaced him with Darwin, who looks like a glorified Andy Carroll. And, I don't know, Salah can get hurt. Like, he hasn't happened really yet, but, like, it, it could happen. And, you know, I, I honestly, like, I, I, in our, when we did predictions for this site, I predicted City was going to win the league, but I'm pretty, I'm feeling pretty Liverpool heavy, um, my way of thinking right now. And I think they're the team that, like, just something bad needs to happen to them for us to get in. Yeah. Not, neither of those teams secured their floor in the way that I kind of thought that they would. City well, is, is City sold off. And- yeah. City sold off tons of their depth in a way that, like, I kind of understand why Jesus left, but, I mean, they were selling, like, Zinchenko. I mean, they were selling players. I don't understand why they let them go. And yeah, and they and, didn't and, replace and them. decided to, I don't think it's, like, unreasonable what Liverpool have done, but they are betting a lot on, like, Thiago at this point. And Thiago's like, you know, when, when it works, it's 1,500 superstar minutes. It's not, like... Lots, lots of minutes. So they've, you know, it's, it's, it's the same guys. It's Thiago and Fabinho, and what remains of Henderson, and like the little tweeners, like uh, you know, Elliot and Carvalho. the other one. Yeah, and so like, you know, and 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 and, and Keita, and, and like you know, that's not a bad midfield. But I kind of thought they would have been moving on from one more of those pieces, and they're just counting on that if they've got enough bets on. Akata and on an Oxlade Chamberlain who's playing football right now. And, oh, he's and hurt the again. young guys. He's hurt again? Amazing. Yeah. But and, and they, they still got they still got they still got the young guys. They, they, they've, and they've got Curtis Jones as like their like seventh choice midfielder who's like that's a pretty good seventh choice midfielder to have. As long as Luis Diaz and Salah are good, it kind of doesn't much matter everywhere well, else. And Trent Alexander Arnold, like and, and Virgil Van Dyke, like those four guys just are in the right places of the team to just lock everything down and everything else to be good as yeah. long as they have like reasonable bodies around them and they can get hurt like that's what, like they are vulnerable at those like key positions they just seem to get really lucky with them every season I feel like City and Liverpool are in a semi-similar situation where it's like if Nunez if, if Darwin and Holland are like all conquering monsters then they're in pretty good shape if those guys just don't get it this year I think they're in a lot of trouble. Not, not. I think they're a lot more. I think they come down to earth quite a bit if those guys either either hurt, which I think in Holland's case is extremely likely, or um, just don't sort of you know really hit the ground running in the way they need to. Uh, you know, in, in Darwin's case in particular, I mean, they've lost Mane. They you know they they put a big bet on Darwin. You know, I mean, you look at Diaz, he's not Kulishevsky, so, you know, there's a lot to live up to there. But <laughs> Yeah. But they still have Jota. Like, I, I, I think Darwin could score 10 goals this season, and Liverpool could still win the league, and I wouldn't be, like, surprised. They could. I just don't know if they're, like, I just don't know if they're, like, 30 points ahead of the third-place team is my, yeah. you know. The, right, and that's what Spurs need. Here. That's what Spurs need. They need, they need. they need to be able to reel those teams in. And, and it's going to be tough, because, like, I think we've seen it in the last couple of you know, while Pep's been at City, like, they've had a rough start of the season. I mean, rough by City standards, but, you know, and he still manages, like, you know, mid-year, they just hit that other gear and just don't lose a game for four months, and all of a sudden they're running away with the league again. And So we've talked ambitiously about what we hope for. Are, are we afraid of anybody breathing down our neck? Is Chelsea, Man U, Arsenal, and, I don't know, Newcastle, like, are they... A real threat to our top four? Or do we feel like yeah. very comfortable that we've gotten top four? I don't think that's 
impossible, but I think the World Cup's going to have a lot to do with it. Um, I, I think we have no clue what the injury profile of this league or the fitness profile, rather, because Harry Kane might come back without an injury, but he just might be totally gassed. You know, we have a lot of key players. I mean, you know, we bought Richarlson to shore up our front line if there's an injury or what have you. And he's going to be playing serious minutes of this World Cup. I mean, Sun might, if we're, might not, if we're lucky. Um, you know, I mean, there's a. I think this is going to be an extremely weird season, and I think it could benefit us or it could really hurt us. And I have no idea how it's going to go. Yeah, I, I think people are right now are significantly too low on Chelsea. Uh, the case against Chelsea is like some preseason stuff and some vibes. The talent on this team is fantastic, and Tuchel has a very good history managing. And, you know, if you want to bet against Chelsea making top four, you can go make quite a bit of money on it at the bookies. The the, the, the odds on Chelsea are running more or less even with Tottenham, and I think that that is probably a fair baseline. I think that, you know, if you worry about something, like Tottenham's numbers under Conte were amazing. Like, even Antonio Conte over the course of his career has not consistently produced that size of an improvement in team quality. Like, it was ridiculous. Take off, like, 30% of that, it's still an amazing achievement. It's still, like, this is a superstar coach who should be being paid at minimum tens of millions of euros, pounds, whatever. Like, but you take 30% off of it, they get pretty close down there, and then you get a little bit worried, okay, so we're even with Chelsea, and, you know, a couple things go right for Arsenal, a couple things go wrong for Tottenham. Like, you know, we are favored to make top four, but, like, we are not favored to make top four like Man City or Liverpool are. So, I mean, I think you're right that Tuchel has a good coaching pedigree, but he also has a bad vibes pedigree. Yes. And <laughs> that is a real thing that, like, happens to his teams. And the vibes don't look great. So I would I would bet on vibes. I'm happy to bet on five. Well, I mean, the, 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 book, the bookies are out there accepting bets. All right, I'm doing it. I mean, it's very, it's a very weird environment right now because I feel like, you know, we talked on this podcast with our, our good friend Ryan Rosenblatt earlier in the year about, I think at, there was a point at which people, Spurs fans, were underrating Conte's performance a little bit because everything was turning up Arsenal for Mikel Arteta and... You know, they've been blowing the doors off people in this preseason, and I don't think any of us know what that means. <laughs> um, I think Spurs fans, you know, we've had a good, if un, like, spe- if not spectacular preseason, at least in terms of results, but I don't think anyone really knows what that means, and I think, you know, Chelsea's transfer business has been at a minimum messy I don't know. I think this is going to be such a weird season. Partly, I think largely because of the World Cup, but there's so much turnover at the top end of the Premier League that it's just, I, I think it's going to be a very weird year. And it's probably likely that it's City, Liverpool, or some combination of those. And then, you know, it's probably Chelsea Spurs, maybe Arsenal sneaks in there. And some version of that. But I think this is just, I think so much of the season is going to just turn on weird shit, more so than most seasons. That it's going to be very hard to predict because, you know, like, okay, what if Gabriel Jesus stays healthy, but Kane and Richarlson and Son all get hurt, which is a very real possibility, or they're all gap. Like, I have no idea. I, I think all that shit is way more likely to throw everything out of whack this year than most years. So we talk about the World Cup. What about other cups? Are we going to win a cup this year? I mean, Champions Conte, League. We're obviously going to win the Champions League. Conte the Champions League? Probably not. Uh, I would like to think he's been hearing everyone talking about that and is sort of like, you know, it's become a bit of a stick up his ass and maybe that's why we bought a bunch of people to strengthen positions on this team. But I don't know. It'll be really interesting how he plays in the Champions League this year. I think we're going to do it. Double. Premier League Champions League double? That was your predicting, Ben? Uh, no. But I think we're going to win the Champions League. I think we're going to win the Champions League. It's such a weird... I think we're all going to have a nice time watching soccer together. 
When's that? For a really happen? nice time. Like we had that one week where we beat Arsenal and Arsenal <laughs> lost to Newcastle. When's the last time it happened before that? <laughs> it was like one of the greatest weeks of my life from a sports perspective. Like when's the last time we've had that? By the way, super looking forward to the last episode of All or Nothing. You know, Mikel Arteta and the boys. Like, I'm very, very excited for that for that final episode of the North London Derby. See, see how they spin a embarrassing North London Derby loss and a uh, a loss to Newcastle. Uh, just very excited to see how they spin that into a positive. So. Should be a good time. On that note, I think it's time to wrap it up. Uh, Benjamin, where can people find you on the internet? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Comrade Spurs. And Michael, where can people find you online? Yeah, you can uh, subscribe to my podcast at patreon.com slash double pivot and give me money. I'm a fan of that. And obviously you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn at uh, Brett Rainbow. Okay. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Skipjack0079. And don't forget to leave us a nice little five-star review. I think if you lasted this long, you're kind of obligated to do it. It's a moral imperative. Um, kind of like Barcelona. Uh, you know, you're just, I think you have an obligation to do that and maybe, uh, you know, buy uh, Jules Koundé. So on behalf of Michael, on behalf of Ben, on behalf of Bright Rainbow, and, of course, on behalf of Barcelona's moral imperative, I have been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs. <laughs>